Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Vitruvian Man podcast, a podcast centered around self-mastery. I'm your host, Zach Shankin. You can follow me at Z-D-S-C-H-E-N-K-E-N on Instagram and at Vitruvian Gentleman for the program and the podcast, also on Instagram. In this podcast, I will be discussing time, its value, learning to manage it, and how and why we waste it, uh, updates on the program timeline, and then end again with some Q&A that we got on the Instagram. Before I get into any of that, though, I want to say a huge, huge thank you to everyone who listened to the first episode and all the amazing feedback and positive feedback that I've gotten over the past week. At the time of recording this podcast, which is like a week since putting out the first one, we already have 142 listens, which is actually crazy. I know I mentioned some number in the first one. I was like 23 listens and I'd be happy or something like that. Like it's crazy to think that 142 people have spent 142 hours with me and listened to the words that I have to say and have found value in it. Um, Thank you so much. And please continue to listen. If you enjoy it, share it with your friends. Um, it, It means the world. And also, as far as feedback, uh, you guys can be a little more critical and mean if you want when you're texting me if there's something you think I fucked up on or just generally didn't get right or something that you want to, I guess, debate with. I'd love to hear that kind of feedback. I'm trying to be egoless, like I said in the last episode, and if the critical feedback is the best way for me to make improvements moving forward. Um, after listening to myself over and over again, the key takeaways is to say um less, and I know I've already said it a number of times this episode. so off to a hot start there and be higher energy at the intro which i think i'm trying to be so i guess we can dive right into the content of this episode what i wanted to start with though is a bit of a story or parable i didn't write this um it's a a story about the value of time and and about life so we'll get right into it this is the story of the fisherman one day a fisherman was lying on a beautiful beach with his fishing pole propped up in the sand and his solitary line cast out on the sparkling blue surf. He was enjoying the warmth of the afternoon sun and the prospecting of catching a fish. About that time, a businessman came down the beach trying to relieve some of the stress from his workday. He noticed the fisherman sitting on the beach and decided to find out why this fisherman was fishing instead of working harder to make a living for himself and his family. He said, why aren't you gonna catch, well, you aren't gonna catch any fish that way, said the businessman. You should be working rather than lying on the beach. The fisherman looked up at the businessman, smiled, and replied, And what will my reward be? Well, you can get bigger nets and catch more fish, was the businessman's answer. And then what will be my reward be? asked the fisherman, still smiling. The businessman replied, You'll make money and you'll be able to buy a boat, which then result in larger catches of fish. And then what will my reward be? asked the fisherman again. The businessman was beginning to get a little irritated with the fisherman's questions. You can buy a bigger boat and hire some people to work for you, he said. And then what will my reward be? Repeated the fisherman. The businessman was getting angry. Don't you understand? You can build up a fleet of fishing boats, sail all over the world, and let all your employees catch fish for you. Once again, the fisherman asked, and then what will my reward be? The businessman was red with rage and shouted at the fisherman, Don't you understand that you can become so rich that you'll never have to work for your living again? You can spend all the rest of your days sitting on this beach, looking at the sunset. You won't have a care in the world. The fisherman, still smiling, looked up and said, and what do you think I'm doing right now? So I love that story. And I think it very poignantly and poetically encapsulates kind of my current, and I don't know that this will always be true for me, but certainly my outlook generally on life and work um, and a means to an ends, whether we work to live, live to work, that kind of thing, finding your passion. I think it's a beautiful story in that we get to see that at the end of the day, there's a, we can easily get trapped into that rat race and the traditional path and, and heeding the advice of everyone who's done it a certain way. And I think, you know, growing up, you see your parents do stuff a certain way. They're like your friend's parents do it a certain way. You're kind of surrounded in this environment where everyone's done this requisite steps. You know, you graduate high school, what's the next step? You go to college, you graduate college, get your first job. Okay. Like 
climb the ladder in that job and then pivot to the next one. And now you're like in a manager position. And then from there, you eventually get to the place where you finally can buy back your time, your most valuable resource. I know I closed with that. It's kind of a closing statement of this podcast because I think it's one of the most, if not the most important things to continually remind myself of and other people of is the the value of time. And that's, again, the, the subject of this podcast. Um, it's the only resource that you can never buy back. There, it's non-renewable. The richest man on earth, Elon Musk, any any of these guys in the top billions and billions of dollars, numbers that we don't even can't even fathom on paper the amount of money that simply is is just too large. I mean, they pay more in taxes than entire nations' GDPs are worth. Those guys can never buy back yesterday. And as long as you are on your path, whatever it may be, building a business, maybe your passion, and you may wake up with purpose every single day. It's not for me to pass judgment on what people are doing with their day to day. But if you are currently in a job or school or a relationship, whatever it is, and you feel like you're trading time for money, you better be damn sure that that exchange rate is accurate. And a ton of that comes from the self-confidence to know that your time is extremely valuable. You have to know that, okay, if is my time, is an hour of my time worth $15 an hour, $30 an hour? $80 an hour, 100, 1000, 5000. I think it's important to critically look at that and and look at like the money you're making in your job and say is that trade worth it to me? Is the amount of money that I'm going to receive going to bring me happiness, utility, whatever it may be, worth giving up a resource that I will never be able to get back. There will always be opportunities to make more money. Um and I I do acknowledge like my privilege or background or whatever like I didn't come from pure struggle very much like a middle class family like we drove old cars and lived in like an unupdated house but like I also went to private school in high school and you know got to play sports and never had to worry about where my next meal was coming from so a lot of this my perspective is obviously informed from my background and and the same is true for everyone so I'm not again this isn't a, a judgment cast but it is something I think more people need to have kind of a, a more time, a revolutionary perspective on time and, and the trade for it. Like kind of wake up to this, this programming that the way you have to live your life is this exchange, this money for time. Um, and in the same way, I think a book that I read that touches on this interestingly is a book called Bullshit Jobs. And um, originally, I can try to include this essay in the show notes. I don't know how to do that but I'll see if I can figure that out. Um, but a, it, this book was originally an essay published by in like strike magazine in like an online journal. And essentially uh, it was recommended. This book was recommended to me by a mentor of mine, Dr. Merrick first um, in the off chance you're listening. Hello, Dr. First, but he's someone who has been kind of like a serial entrepreneur startup kind of scientist guy. And, and when we sat down and met for the first time, he recommended this book. Um, it was a, a 2018 book published by anthropologist David Graeber that, essentially postulates the existence of meaningless jobs and analyzes their societal harm. Um, in the book, he contends that over half of societal work is pointless. Over 50% of the work that is done total is pointless and becomes psychologically destructive when it's paired with a work ethic that associates it with self-worth. And, and that goes back to what I was saying, like knowing your worth and how much you're trading time for. Um, I found it kind of really interesting because, you know, growing up in the States and being I think indoctrinated is the wrong word, but being looking critically at economies over time and, and, and thinking, and, and I still do believe like capitalism is, is a, is a good system. It is obviously produced the most excess that the world's ever seen, um, decreased mortality rates worldwide. It's done a lot of positive for humankind. That being said, um, if this is a tr if the theory that is postulated in this book is true and 50% of the work that's out there is completely meaningless that's an interesting kind of artifact that theoretically shouldn't exist in a pure capitalist society right like the the market should wean out and take out any sort of waste but it clearly hasn't and i know this in my personal experience and you definitely do too um 
in any in jobs that you've worked in the past it may not be the current job it may have been the last job you worked it may be the next job you work and it may be the current job you're working in but you either know that your role or the role of people around you it's complete bullshit it's like you're just wasting time it's super performative you could probably get done your day's work in two or three hours of concise like okay i need to do this this meeting is really meaningful and then i need to do like two or three deliverables the rest of it's like water cooler talk it's sitting at your desk looking busy kind of clicking through spreadsheets because you don't want to deliver too soon um it's why i decided you know before i get to the place where i'm fully self-employed that i would join a startup right out of college rather than a traditional kind of corporate environment or like a more established company because there's so much work to do you don't really have room to hide behind any of that meaningless work because like my previous two internships which i learned a ton from really good experiences um and i i don't i don't um i don't look negatively upon those experiences but they were a great window into kind of what the quote-unquote real adult world is like um there's, I would get assigned, you know, the week's work for whatever I was working on on Monday and knock it all out as efficiently as possible on Monday. Cause you know, like that's the protocol of school, like at Georgia tech, like it's a very, it's an extremely difficult environment, high volume of work, but also difficulty. And so you don't really have time to like putz around with your schedule, especially if you want to have any sort of meaningful life outside of school, which I of course did. And so if you wanted to make time for intramurals, going to the gym, being on the lacrosse team, um, spending time with your friends, investing in the organizations that you're a part of, you had to make sure that your time was efficient. So yeah, in an internship, you get your work on Monday, bang it out as fast as possible, efficiently get to the end of Monday, early Tuesday. It's like, Hey, I finished all my stuff. Like I'd love some feedback. Like what else do you have for me? And they're like, Oh damn, like didn't really expect you to get through all that. Like we don't really, we'll get back to you. And then, there's no one getting back to you because everyone's doing the same shit in their job and they're busy. And so they don't have time to address you. And so at some point it's just like, you're, you're there sitting like reading PDFs of books on your computer, just biding time. And that doesn't feel good for anyone, you know, like as much as it may seem, if someone was like, Hey, if I paid you a hundred K salary and your job was like, kind of just to like go to a couple meetings a week and click through spreadsheets, um, it might be good for a while, right? Like that's really, really good money. And you're not having to work hard, but at some point, I think it's calls to what's inside of every person. We want struggle. We strive for achievement. We are, for some reason, the human spirit wants to be creative, a creative force, a conquering force. It, and you look at it, I mean, like it, it spans so many different avenues, but like perfect relationships fall apart because it's too good. And so they start creating conflict for themselves. You know, that, that this is like psychological stuff that we don't have to get into on this episode, but it's, it's true in anyone's life. People like look to find pain. It's why, it's why people that like retire or are like really well off when they're young. It's like, wh- where do I look to, why, why in, on earth would you run an ultra marathon at all? Or like run an Ironman? We, I think it's because there is something innate in people to like challenge yourself and go out and conquer. And that's like a physical avenue to do it. Other people you know, when they retire, they try to build a new business because like idle time is not how we were meant to be. Like, I I think we're kinetic creatures, like we're meant to physically move, but I think more, more than physically, we were also meant to move through life and change and grow and and adapt and all that stuff. And so for a while, it might be nice to be paid a hundred K to do nothing. And, And I have friends in jobs that are doing that kind of thing. And you can start to see like after a while, it's like, okay, like this performance, this dance where like I'm pretending to be busy, wiggle the mouse to like be, stay active on the fucking Slack channel. Like that gets old and it it, like eats at your spirit. It corrodes at who you are. And so I think uh, it's worth a critical look at what you do on the day to day and say like how much of my job is, is this kind of performative thing? And then look at how can you possibly change it? It doesn't, mean go out and quit your job tomorrow like that is not practical or feasible for a lot of people um but it does mean like look at the day-to-day and see what waste can be pivoted into something else whether you sit down and have a critical talk and it it depends on the relationship you have with your higher-ups but like say hey is it possible if i go to half days 
for five days a week? Or could I do an on-off schedule where I work, work remote every other day? Um, and if my productivity goes down, then we can come back in or you can fire me or we can reevaluate and, and adjust to what we were doing before. But if not, then we can move forward and, and see how this can be kind of like a, a productive force for good, waste less of my time, waste less of your, your resources. Um, and even if you're going like, to make less money out of that deal, understand that the time you buy back is invaluable. Think about what you could do. And, and, and obviously, like if you were to just quit your job tomorrow, you'd probably be sitting there with your dick in your hand like, all right, what do I do with my normal nine to five hours? Like there's only an hour. In, I mean, you can only go to the gym for so long. You can only go walk around, play sports, like enjoy the, like I guess, leisure type activities for so long before, again, your spirit calls to you and says, I need to go build and I need to go create something. And finding that, some people find it in art, poetry, whatever it is, helping people, teaching people, coaching people. But everybody has that thing. I know they do because everyone has something to talk about that really makes their eyes glow. Um, and so, yeah, re- reevaluate your, your kind of stance and place in this like bullshit work environment. Um, so I, to speak on like, if you're thinking about that statistic, like 50% of work is insane. Well, first of all, it is insane to hear it off rip. It's definitely like a, a, a drag you in. I encourage you to read the essay that I can put in the, the show notes. If not, if you can just search bullshit, jobs david graber essay and it will come up on google and if you have the time i recommend you read the book because it's great um and i won't like spoil the entire kind of takeaway of the book the ending i have certain gripes with kind of the conclusions but the the middle part where he's kind of talking about the data and talking about his kind of theory about it all i find it very fascinating and so one of the main kind of center points of the book is he like constitutes or contextualized five types of bullshit jobs that he kind of gives these like little monikers and categorizes that work that is out there. So I'm going to read these out and you can kind of think, do you know, and I promise you will, you will know people in the periphery of your work environment that are fit into these categories and you might even. Um, so first is flunkies. These are people who serve to make their superiors feel important. For example, receptionists, administrative assistants, store attendants, and store greeters. The second category is goons. Uh, these people who act to harm or deceive others on behalf of their employer, uh, for example, lobbyists, corporate lawyers, telemarketers, public relations specialists, community managers. Three is duct tapers. These people who these are people who temporarily fix problems that could just be fixed permanently. Um, for example, programmers who repair bloated code but could easily streamline it and fix it and take go hands off, or like an airline desk staff who calm passengers down when bags don't arrive. Um, the fourth is box tickers. These are people who create the appearance that something is useful, something useful is being done when it's not. For example, survey administrators, in-house magazine journalists, corporate compliance officers, quality service managers, etc. And the five is the the fifth and final is taskmasters, and these are people who create work for those who don't need it. Um, and this is like all of middle management and most leadership professionals. And again, this is his essay. This is not me condemning anyone in those positions, but I would say, like a lot of things, if you hear something and it offends you, take a step back and analyze why it's poking at something that offends you. And it's likely because there's some truth to it. It might be truth about you, it might be truth about someone you know, um, but it, it, I don't know. I found it pretty interesting and, and I wanted to share that because I think it fits into this thing, this whole context of value of time, trading time for money and, and the jobs that we are working in. Um, and another book I think that pairs well in this whole discussion is Man's Search for Meeting by Viktor Frankl, um, talking about that something innately human about us is we want meaning in our life. Um, the book is a 1946 book that chronicles um, Dr. Frankl's experience as a prisoner in Nazi concentration camps during World War II. And he was a psychotherapist um, before he was taken and he describes his specific method, um, logotherapy, which involves identifying a person, uh, a purpose in, in life for a person to feel positive about and then immersively imagining that outcome. Um, a, a famous quote from the book and from uh, Dr. Frankel is he, well, I, I guess this is something he references in the book, excuse me. It's a quote from uh, Frederick Nietzsche. And he says, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. And you can kind of immediately see 
why that's applicable to the concentration camp environment. You know, um, in the book, Frankel talks about seeing people pass away simply because they gave up the will to live or lost meaning. For instance, when they heard that their wife that was taken to another camp had finally fallen, they died within days of hearing the news because they no longer had someone to get back to. They no longer had that meaning. And it's crazy because that speaks to the mind's power of the body. It speaks to how much will can uh, supersede and overcome you know, physiology, even under the most extreme circumstances. But I think that's a huge takeaway. And, and my ultimate conclusion and his ultimate conclusion from the book is the meaning of life is to live a life with meaning. And what that meaning is to you, only you can go out and find. And it, it's not going to be written on a Pinterest board. It's not going to be at the next job interview you walked into. It's, it's a diverse answer and it's, it's nuanced. And there's going to be certain aspects of everyone's everyday that you're not going to like. I'm not naive to the fact that you're going to walk around and you're not going to love every single second of every day. And you're not going to have to deal with shitty people and your life's not going to be hard. This isn't a path to not having a difficult life. Life is the struggle and life is challenge. And that is what makes life amazing. But it's important that there's a meaning behind it. If it's going to be hard, it must be meaningful. Otherwise, you won't be able to bear it. Um, and so this is why I think it's so important to do what you love and you're passionate about. And like you were quote unquote designed to do finding that purpose that you were placed for. And it's, it's unique for everyone. And there's, like I said, that nuance because every person is different. So every, I guess, answer to the purpose and everyone's individual path is going to be kind of unique in that sense. Um, I think that when you act in alignment with your passions, purpose, and interest, that energy is, it's tangible and it touches others in a meaningful way. Um, this past weekend, I was, this past weekend was Memorial Day. And so for years now, I've always wanted to do the Murph workout. And for those that don't know, the Murph workout is a CrossFit workout, um, but probably the most famous hero workout. And uh, Dr. or not Dr. Sergeant Michael Murphy Reeves was a Navy SEAL who lost his life in a helicopter accident. Um, and so this workout was named after him. It was something he did to train when he was in the camps. And so it's like extremely simple workout, but really, really devastating. Um, I was like thrashed for the next, this whole week after I did it. Um, and so the workout is you run a mile, then in between you do a hundred pull-ups, 200 push-ups. 300 squats and then you run another mile and you can partition all those reps and stuff however you want in between but you have to start with a mile and end with a mile anyway i did that workout for the first time got crushed it, it was fun but I, I got destroyed anyway i i finish up and then a friend of mine calls he was asking some questions um his back was kind of hurting and he was asking my recommendations for what to do like stretches whatever so like i'm on the phone with him on my cool down lap like absolutely sweating my ass off suffering and there's a few people out at the track that I was at and this one older guy had been there he was doing his own thing the whole time um but he had seen me whatever and so I'm walking my lap giving the nod as I kind of walk past his area and he like overhears me anyway so like I'm walking this lap and he walks over to me and then he sits down and listens to the rest of the call I had with my friend and you know I'm like looking at him like holding like hey I'm on the phone like one second sorry I'll get to you in a second um and he's like like real up in my space but he was just there like nodding his head like I don't know it, it was a bit awkward and then I get off the phone and and this guy kind of was like hey man like I want to let you know that you know I just feel like God brought me over here to you today and I'm so inspired by what you're doing like I'm trying to get where you are and and like this guy was in good shape and and but clearly had come from like a rougher background and and we just sat and talked for a while and you know he had a, he had moved from cartersville to atlanta to escape kind of the environment he was in there like drugs and stuff like that um and just the community was kind of toxic to him and so he's trying to make it on his own here in the city and and this guy's like older than me he was in his late 30s and like clearly it had a, a pretty rough go of it like miss, missing teeth um and he was just like man, like just, just you being out here today, like really inspires me to keep doing my thing. And like, I don't share this story to say I'm special because 
anyone else could have been out there training and I didn't go out there with any sort of like ulterior motive or this other mission, but it just, I mean, it almost brought me to fucking tears because like I was just out there doing my thing, like, and I love to train and that's like kind of an outpouring of something that I'm passionate about. And it, and it touched him. Like he felt that energy, like from watching me train while I did the damn thing for like 40 minutes and then coming over and then, and then hearing what I was saying to my friend on the phone. And I, I, I just, I think that that is like a prime example and it literally just happened, which is why I'm sharing it is that when you go out and you're doing, you're doing so something that's so inherently you and something that you're so, so passionate about that energy is visible. People see it in your eyes. They see it in the way that you move. They see it in the way that you smile, the way that you talk about it. That passion is, is tangible and you know it when you see it, you know it when you feel it. You may be so in the moment that you're not ta- you, you don't recognize how much it's it's affecting your environment and the people around you, but you definitely know it when you walk up to somebody and they're on the path. And, and it can be anything. It, it it's like you meet somebody who is a teacher, but they their eyes light up when they talk about the kids they get to talk to every day. I mean, like that shit fires you up, right? Like there's nothing better than meeting somebody that's on their path and on their purpose. And so I think that 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 is how you find that is a way to search for and find your meaning. And your purpose is to figure out what what puts you in that state and other people can feel that energy. And a good way to find that is ask the people that are close to you. Like if you couldn't pinpoint it, like I, I first I think you should sit down and like write down stuff that is like fulfilling to you. But there's going to be so much cognitive bias that it may be hard to get through the weeds. And you also might be I mean, there, there's going to be so many extra factors, right? Like you're going to want to write down like I'm really passionate about technology consulting because it pays me six figures a year. But like, are you, though? And what about, but if you, if you do enjoy your job, like what aspect of it truly is bringing you that passion? Because most of it, most of the day to day probably isn't, but there are certain things, whether it's talking to clients or it's the after work relationships that you form or whatever it is, it, something in there is your purpose and your meaning and it makes your life meaningful. And the more people that are out there doing it, I think the better world will be in because everyone wants to see that person. Everyone wants to be that person. Um, and it's so motivating to meet somebody else when they're on it. And I don't know, that was a really kind of special moment. I, I was so like humbled and like, I didn't know what to say. I was just like, look, man, like I'm just a kid. Like I was out here trained. Like it helps me when you're out here because like I see this guy getting after it and I, I you know, I can't slack. I can't walk the the second mile because he'll see me fucking slow down. Like it's a little bit of that com- competitive, like NJ Mamba mentality, whatever, like that. And that's like lingering from sports and just being a competitor. But you know, I was like, I, I'm grateful for you being out here and like your kind words and like just sharing your story with me has such an impact on me. And hopefully me sharing the story on here can can touch somebody and 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 inspire them to do something positive. So I, I don't really know. Ultimate, I don't know. That's just something that I wanted to share. And so going back to why it's so important to do what you love, it, it's we can circle back to this this centric kind of topic of this episode is is time. Um, and I think a, another, a great quote that speaks towards time's value. And I know I mentioned it um, when Trey asked on last week's episode about, you know, what are some stoic maxims that you live by? Memento Mori being the kind of pinnacle one that, you know, I have it tattooed on my arm. Remember that you will die. It, a quote from Marcus Aurelius, you know, uh, the kind of the stoic um, when, when you read his meditations, which is a collection of his wartime and when he was ruling over um, Rome, it's a collection of his thoughts. And it was literally essays he wrote to himself, like his private journal. So it wasn't intended to be published, but the amount of wisdom that's encapsulated in it is amazing. And so a quote from that is, you could leave life right now. Let that determine what you do and say and think. And it's exactly what I was talking about last episode. Like not only should you be doing what you want and moving in that passion because you don't know that tomorrow's promised. I don't know that at the time of this recording, I could be trying to bike back to my apartment and get hit by a car, what, whatever it is, you know? And like, some people think that's grim and dark. I choose to look at it as liberating. I know that me recording this podcast right now, like it's what I want to be doing. I'm enjoying this. I, I know that some amount of people, hopefully the same 140, whatever people listen this week and we can get a few more um, and find meaning from it. Like, I don't know where you're listening to this. It's kind of fun to think about like whether you're at work or driving home, like wherever this 
audio finds you, I'm glad that I have the ability to speak to you right now. And I know that if, if I were to leave life right now, I was doing something that I was passionate about. I was building, I'm building this program, the Vitruvian Man program, and I'm super excited about that. And I want to see it to fruition, but I know that in the meantime, before it's done, I am moving into that path and, and I'm doing, I'm doing that knowing that time is not promised and, and it's, and it's not, um, nothing is guaranteed. And so, yeah, to speak on kind of the value of time, again, I think, um, uh, an important thing to mention, and I'm going to get into another book, briefly touch on it. I don't know how much it's like a topic in of itself, but kind of the 80, 20 principle also known as the Pareto principle, but Essentially, the Pareto principle was discovered by a economist initially, and it, and he was looking at uh, initially kind of economy and disproportionate distribution of wealth. And eighty twenty was an observation he made about that, but it can be any sort of other fractional relationship that, in the most simplest, most simply stated, time is nonlinear. There is a disproportionate return for inputs and outputs. And when you look at, if you were to look at your life kind of, and I'll, and I'll read this little like excerpt from the book that states it pretty succinctly because I, I don't want to ramble and like confuse you, but you can look at your life and you know that there are aspects of your life that disproportionately positively impact you and or negatively, but like a small amount of your time gives you a large amount of the results. And then the rest of the time is wasted on the other stuff. And, and, and to win your time back is is to recognize this and then start tearing away the aspects that are not falling into this more disproportionate ratio. So I'm going to read the excerpt. It's like the first page in the book, um, the 80-20 principle, the secret to achieving more with less by Richard Koch. And the, so this, this, this kind of excerpt is, is titled the universe is wonky. So what is the 80-20 principle? The 80-20 principle tells us that in any population, some things are likely to be much more important than others. A good benchmark or hypothesis is that 80% of the results or outputs flow from 20% of causes and sometimes a much smaller proportion of powerful forces. Everyday language is a good illustration. Sir Isaac Pittman, who invented shorthand, discovered that just 700 common words make up two-thirds of our conversation including the derivatives of these words. Pittman found that these words account for 80% of common speech. In this case, fewer than 1% of words, the new short, based on the new shorter Oxford Dictionary, lists over half a million words total, are used 80% of the time. 1% of the words, 80% of the time. We could call this an 81 principle. Similarly, over 99% of talk uses fewer than 20% of words. We could call this a 99-20 relationship. Um, the movies illustrate the 80-20 principle. A recent study shows that 1.3% of movies earn 80% of box office revenues, producing virtually an 80 to 1 rule. The 80-20 principle is not a magic formula. Sometimes the relationship between the results and causes is closer to 70-30 than 80-20 or 81, but it's very rarely true that 50% of causes lead to 50% of the results. The universe is predictably unbalanced. Few things really matter. Truly effective people and organizations batten down on the few powerful forces at work in their worlds and turn them to their advantage. Read on to find out how you can do the same. And so that's kind of the intro to the book and the 80-20 principle. And I heard, oh, like, what's the 80-20 on that? Or like, give me the 80-20 or like, what's the 80-20 way to do this growing up and into college and whatever. And people just throw the phrase around. But I think so few people, even if they know what it means, even if they know that, you know, there's a small portion of what you do gives you most of the results. Very few people really, really attack their life with that. And like with a hard fine-tuned comb, scrape out all the stuff that's, that's important, that's not important. Um, I think back to how I transitioned in college, you know, coming from a really non-academically strong high school and then stepping into like a world-class university in in georgia tech and a very competitive engineering program initially with mechanical engineering and then by switching to biomedical engineering i was thrashed like i had never truly studied in my life in high school because my high school wasn't hard and i get into tech and the first test grade i ever get back is a 40 a 49 sorry and i was like jesus christ welcome to the big leagues no kidding like 
And I ended up having to retake that class. It was Calc 1, which like may be a little embarrassing to admit. And I still have my grievances with mathematics. But the point being is I, I was not exposed to I was not exposed to that difficulty. And so my initial like my, my initial go through was like, okay, how is how have I figured out stuff in the past that's been difficult? Is just put your head down and go as hard as you can. Grind for hours and hours and hours, just like spend six, eight hours in the library straight, trying to do problems, trying to look at it. But that's not the 80-20, you know, spending all that time, 80% of the, what I was going to get out of those study sessions was from the 20% of the front end, you know, like the one concise hour where I was really locked in, really doing problem sets, maybe even trying to explain it to your peers. They say that's like a great way to learn. And I agree with that. So it's about finding that in it, it for me switching that mindset you know I, I it was unsuccessful the just grind mentality head down like working harder not smarter and then over my time in college it was trying to find the most and and through most of the time i didn't realize i was kind of moving toward this 80 20 relationship but essentially wanting to be as intelligent as possible but also as lazy as possible doing the least amount of work to get the output necessary i ended up graduating with fine grades and to be honest, after my sophomore year, I just didn't have to work that hard because I was able to game the system seems wrong, but work in, a, work in a way that was most efficient, right? Like if you know that, especially once school transitioned to online, if you know that lectures are going to be recorded, instead of going to the lecture and spending the full hour 15, that's an hour and 15 of total time, right? You could wait till it's recorded and then watch it back on 1.5 or 2x and take notes when you watch it. And now you're saving, you know, theoretically, if you're watching it 2x, you're literally cutting that time investment into half and you're getting exactly what you would have gotten. Maybe even more because if you're sitting through like a slow, boring lecture, you're going to retain less potentially. You're going to drift, maybe look at your phone, get on your computer, whatever. And so it was about little, little stuff like that, piecing it together. Um, if you're working on a group assignment and for instance, I wasn't particularly strong at computer science. So if there was an aspect that needed a coding, like I'm, I know that I'm smart enough and there were times where I had to do it on my own, but I could figure out the code. But if somebody else on the team was stronger, it's worth everyone's time. The 80-20 solution is to give them all the work that they're more efficient at. They can knock it out in a third of the time anyone else could do it. And we can all move forward. And, and just it was, it was like that for distribution of tasks or like homework assignments um, where you were allowed to collaborate. Uh, you could give, you know, okay, like I know this person's stronger at this particular area of anatomy. So I'm going to give them like this half of the homework and I'll take care of the short answer. Or, you know, I know this person's really good at reports. So for this team project, like they're the report guy and I'll be the data analyst and somebody else will be the code person. And, and whatever that distribution is, it, it was about slowly working to a place where you're working smarter, not harder. Everyone says that phrase, but I think ultimately it's it's not necessarily smarter like raw intelligence, but it's more about strategic. It's like a strategic use of your time, looking for that kind of disproportionate breakdown um, of ret return to investment. And I think yeah, like it's using time management tools as well. And I, I won't get into like the granularity of like how I, unless people are interested, maybe next episode um, about like how I personally quote unquote manage my time with different tools and redundant systems like my calendars, whatever, but those, those aspects as well, like making sure that you're not wasting, wasting time trying to quote unquote feel productive, but not actually getting your work done. Um, yeah. So I think that concludes all of my show notes. Um, but there were some questions asked this week. Um, and I appreciate those who submitted last week. I hope you stayed to the end to get your little shout outs. I hope if you're still listening, you'll get to hear your shout out this week. Um, and yeah, I can get into some of these questions. So Brad asked about how he perceived time. What is it exactly in the science behind time? And then Johnny asked, is time linear? Um, so for Brad, I'd say like there's lots of theoretical and science stuff around this topic, but I don't think it's particularly relevant to this episode. I think it'd be fun to like have a guest on that knows more like about like relativity theory and all that stuff. Um, Cause I think that is really, really fascinating. Obviously like I'm a pretty, I'm a nerd um, at heart and like went to a pretty nerdy school. So it'd be fun to have a guest on and talk more about that stuff. Like 
time space continuum, nonlinearity, all, all that stuff. Um, and then in regards to Gianni's question, like there's the scientific side of the nonlinearity of time, but more importantly, what I was talking about before is like the disproportionate 80, 20 of life. It's like life is extremely nonlinear, but it's predictably nonlinear. Um, and it's, it's measurably disproportionate to return in, in terms of time, money and effort, et cetera. So I think that's the big thing. Um, and, a, and a point that I haven't seen anywhere else, but it's something that I've been thinking about recently is that time is disproportionately value valuable across your life meaning your time in the present obviously it's all it's the only thing you control is the is the immediate present but your time is more valuable now than it will be later and what i mean by that i guess i already said that twice what i mean by this is your time at 22 23 24 25 26 27 those years are more valuable than your time at 81 82 83 84 85 87 just because of what you're limited by at that time physically and in life and whatever and so if someone were offering you at the end of your life you could get a year back of your life at, at any time frame in your life so people are going to ask for something close to your 20s or 30s and so I think people my age, like for those of people my age that are listening, you need to really understand that while everyone's going to tell you that your time isn't worth as much because you're inexperienced when you graduate. So like you need to earn your way to making more money for your time. I think you need to very critically look at that and say, well, on the flip side of that, I am disproportionate. My time is unbelievably valuable to me right now. And it may not be a trade that the corporate world is going to make for me. They're not going to pay me 500 grand right out of college until I get like, I wouldn't be able to make that money until I'm 45 and I've been in upper management for 10 years. Like that is how like the linear path that everyone's trying to like program you towards. But if you're in your twenties, you need to recognize like, this is the most valuable. Theoretically, you should be getting the most economic return. If you're willing to trade your time away right now, you should be getting the most money in this window. And I don't have that magic solution. I wish I could wave a wand and be making millions of dollars a year right now. And I think there is, it's going to take time to build to that. But my consolation is, okay, I want to buy back my time. I want to get to the place where I'm not working a nine to five and I'm just free to do whatever I want because that has a literal value to me in the most literal sense, just like a bank account number would. And until I can convince the world and like manifest a reality where I'm getting paid, what I think my time is worth. And I don't know that I've written down a hard number, but it's extremely high. And then like, you can call that arrogant, you call it whatever, but like, it's both me calling my shot and knowing my worth. Um, your time is disproportionately valuable when you're young. Like your time at 50 is so much less valuable than your time at 22. And it's even more so when you're in your eighties and hopefully you make it to 90, hundred, whatever. Um, so, so very like to my younger audience, look at your time as so, so valuable and try to get back as much of it as you can right now. And then go and find that purpose and build something special. And then to my older audience, understand that your time in the present is as valuable as it's going to get. And it's only decreasing as time goes on. You know, nature's taking its course and we can train and we can eat well and sleep well and recover well. And that will make our time more valuable longer because you're more capable of doing things. But at the same time, it's you'll never be able to get yesterday back, right? Like it's what it goes back to what I said at the beginning. Like Elon Musk can't buy back yesterday because he's the richest man on earth. He has the most capital. He can't do it. You can't. You certainly can't do it. No one can right now. And until we invent some way to like warp through time, and I hope I don't live to the place in time where humanity figures that thing out, because I think stuff gets really dicey. But I would say the present moment is the most important. But if you're young in the present moment that shit is literally gold. Look at it and hold on to it tightly. Don't just go and work some bullshit job. Like don't go trade your time for $10 or $15 an hour to scoop ice cream all day fucking long. Like take whatever amount of like you've saved up in your bank account and try to do something that you're passionate about. Start a podcast, do stuff that's free, right? Like I'm recording this podcast with a free app on my AirPods. And yeah, you're probably at consequence of this audio. Like, sorry, I'm, I'm hoping to get a mic soon. But point is, is you just don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Take whatever money you have and like go try to build something meaningful with the time that you enjoy. And like, I love doing this. Like, is it perfect right now? No, but like, it's so I'm having a blast doing it. And 
and it's so meaningful to hear your guys' feedback and like it's it's pushing me and pushing me and pushing me and so that that would be my encouragement as far as the non-linearity of time i apologize to brad and gianni because those were not i think the context of what you're asking like the answer but i hope to have in the future a more like maybe like an astrophysicist or somebody who knows stuff about relativity theory to like speak more at length about that and it could be like a more sciencey episode um next question fabio shout out fabio i hope you're doing well man i know if you are listening to this i hope you made it to the end um and uh i hope you're doing well over in sweden for your internship so i got some questions from fabio he says what are some of your favorite quotes about time managing of time making the most of it so i am a huge quote person and so this was like very much right in my wheelhouse um and so i'm going to read some of the excellent excellent words of very very wise men through history um, that i've kind of tried to collect i have this like running notes app in my phone of just quotes that i like and so it was, it was fun to go back through and read some of these and i had more about time than i thought so the first one i already said earlier in the episode but you could leave life right now let that determine what you do and say and think from marcus aurelius um, from another stoic we have seneca in short the quote is it is not that we have a short time to live, but that we waste a lot of it. Again, calling back to that bullshit jobs idea, knowing that we have all this use, useless time or wasted time in our lives. But this is on in a longer kind of essay that he wrote um, called On the Shortness of Life. And so the excerpt at large is, life is long enough and a sufficiently generous amount has been given to us for the highest achievements if it were all well invested. But when it is wasted in heedless luxury and spent on no good activity, we are forced at last by death's final constraint to realize that it has passed away before we knew it was passing. So it is. We are not given a short life, but we make it short. And we are not ill, supplied, but wasteful of it. Life is long if you know how to use it. I love that quote. Um, the next one, another one from Seneca is, let us prepare our minds as if we'd come to the very end of life. Let us postpone nothing. Let us balance life's books each day. The one who puts the finishing touches on their life every day is never short of time. I think this one is so, so important. And it's it's kind of like, it goes to that memento mori idea. If you get to the end of every day and say, if I die today, and I encourage people to try this. I did this for a while when I was consistently doing a daily journal. Write down on the paper, like, if I died right now, and you literally write it out. If I die right now, am I okay with that? And the answer almost every day for me was no. And that's fine. But immediately the next question is why? And you list like stream of consciousness or whatever comes to heart, why that answer is no. And then try the next day to like critically and iteratively change that so that eventually you can get to the place where you can live. You can get to the end of your day and say, if I lay my head to rest for the last time today, I know it was okay. And it could be as simple as when I was at the store and I was checking out, I told the lady who was there who looked like she was having a long day that I really liked her hair and she smiled. That giving somebody that free smile, making someone's day could be the thing that means that you get to lay your head re to rest and with peaceful as opposed to just quietly going about your day, treating them like an automaton and not thinking about um, providing value for them. But it could be as simple as that, or it could be as grand as, you know, I'm later in my years, I have made my wealth. My kids are fine. They're in college, but like, I have all this money saved up for what I'm going to go and build schools in Zimbabwe because I know it's needed. And I know this will be hard, but I want to work towards a goal that I know I'm providing value to the world and to other people's lives. And people who are doing that kind of work, you've, you've probably met like that kind of philanthropist or whatever. Those people are so unbelievably fulfilled because they're doing something that's meaningful. The meaning of life is to live a life of meaning. So another quote is to achieve great things, two things are needed, a plan and not quite enough time. It's from Leonard Bernstein. Um, that's a great one. I know the procrastinators in the audience can, you know, they're retweeting that right now. Um, it, it, again, it speaks to like the value of time. Like when you don't have enough of it, you're really, really efficient at using it. So think of it like that every day. You don't have enough of it and you don't know that you have more in the future. So try to be as efficient and, and I don't know, 
revolutionary in your thinking about time as possible. Um, and then this is a long one that I guess I will close out today's episode with. So this is known as the Holsti Manifesto. This is a little kind of excerpt written by a few men um, who quit their jobs to start a sustainable t-shirt company. And this was posted on their about page of the website, but it's kind of taken on um, a meaning of its own and has you know been reprinted and put out there a bunch. But I think it, uh, it speaks about time, but it also speaks about like life and I think it's really poetic and beautiful. And so started with a story that I thought was well-written. I think I'll end with this little excerpt. Um, so this is the Holstein Manifesto. This is your life. Do what you love and do it often. If you don't like something, change it. If you don't like your job, quit. If you don't have enough time, stop watching TV. If you're looking for the love of your life, stop. They'll be waiting for you when you start doing the things you love. Stop overanalyzing. Life is simple. When you eat, appreciate every bite. Open your mind, arms, and heart to new things and people. We are united in our differences. Ask the person you see, the next person you see, what their passion is and share your inspiring dream with them. Travel often. Getting lost will help you find yourself. Some opportunities only come once. Seize them. Life is about the people you meet and then the things you create with them. So go out and start creating. Life is short. Live your dream and share your passion. And with that, I think I won't soil the rest of the episode with my words i appreciate um every single one of the people listening right now if you've made it this far you mean the world to me um thank you so much for listening thank you so much for sharing thank you so much for reaching out please continue to do so i like to imagine i would do this in a void but it certainly makes it a lot easier when i have such positive feedback coming my way um, and people kind of pushing me to be better so thank you so much um, I want to end with a quick call to action. So like I said at the beginning, you can follow along with the program that I'm working on as well as kind of just the podcast and its updates at Vitruvian Gentleman on Instagram. And you can follow me specifically at Z-D-S-C-H-E-N-K-E-N, Z-D-Shankin on Instagram. And if you enjoy this podcast and have made it to the very end with me, uh, DM me the word podcast and share your thoughts. I love to interact with you guys and it means so much already, like I said, that I've had such a positive impact and uh, hope to continue to do so. Remember, your time is your most valuable resource. Thank you for spending a little bit of it with me, Memento Mori, and I will catch you guys on the next episode of the Petruvian Man podcast.